Welcome to today's online message from Long Eaton Oasis Christian Centre. We are a church at the heart of the community, with a heart for the community. And we're so glad that you've joined us. We hope that you'll be inspired and encouraged today. Please don't hesitate to contact us. If you want to find out more, you can visit our website, www.longeatonoasis.co.uk, or you can direct message us. Freddie and Georgie lead Reset Youth that normally meet on a Sunday morning. We are so blessed to have them as part of our church family. And this morning, Freddie is going to bring a a message for us. So I'm just going to pray for Freddie and for us just as he he comes. So Father, we just thank you for this time where we can uh, give you our sung worship, but also where we know that you want to speak to us. And Lord, we thank you for Freddie and Georgie, the blessing that they are to us and to our young people. And Lord, may we just be open and receptive to what you've put in Freddie's heart uh, for our hearts this morning. May the work of your Holy Spirit continue to challenge us, transform us and bless us. For the honour of your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. I'm going to follow on from what Michael spoke about last week a little bit. Um, so, so Michael spoke last week, if you weren't here, about uh, Acts chapter 3, where Peter heals the lame beggar. And the message was basically about having faith. And when we have faith in God, amazing things happen, miracles happen. Um, And Michael spoke a little bit from Hebrews 11, which if you've read Hebrews, it's a chapter where the author of Hebrews basically talks about all these people throughout scripture who have had faith and amazing things have happened to them. Now, I'm going to go back a little bit to Hebrews 10 this morning. And this passage of scripture is is amazing. And I, so for those of you who don't know me very well, I'm a physio and I work with people who have had severe brain injuries, so people who are in what's called like a minimally conscious state um, or a prolonged disorder of consciousness where they have, they're they're basically not conscious, but they're alive. So it's it's challenging. It's really difficult. Um, And I had a patient about six months ago or so who was, he'd been in hospital for about a year. He'd had a severe brain injury. He'd had strokes. He'd had heart attacks. He'd had COVID. He'd had everything, basically. And... um, he was on the ward that I was working on at the time, and I was walking down the ward one day, and I could hear some music coming from his room, and I stopped, and I thought, I'm sure I recognize that song. And I was listening along, and it was a Christian song, it was a worship song by a band called I Am They. And I stopped, and I listened, and I thought, oh, maybe that's just randomly come on Spotify, or maybe he is a Christian. So his wife came and visited in the afternoon, so I put my head in, and I said, oh, just wondering, are you... I walked past earlier and I heard some Christian music. Are you, do you guys go to church? Are you Christians? And she said, yeah, yeah, we're, we're devout Christians. We've been going to church our whole lives. Um, we're, we're really involved in leadership. Um, and so we got chatting about church for ages. And anyway, a couple of weeks later, his condition deteriorated. And the doctors basically said, he's going to die. Like 24 hours, he's going to die. This is it, really. So I went in to speak to them, and his wife just said to me, can you, can you pray for us, and do you mind reading Psalm 23 for us? So I said, yeah, of course. Um, and after I finished reading it, I just read this bit of scripture in my sort of morning devotion. And I said to her, can I just read this bit of scripture over you as well? Because I think it's really poignant to where you're at, at this precise moment in time. We sang earlier about being in the middle of a storm. They were in the middle of a storm then. And I said, I want to read this scripture over you. And if you've got your Bibles this morning which after Michael's uh, remarks last week, you should all have your Bibles. Um, And we're reading from Hebrews 10, verses 19 to 23. 
And if you're reading from the NIV, it's subtitled, A Call to Persevere in Faith. So it's Hebrews 10, verses 19 to 23, and it says this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. For he who promised is faithful. So what I want to talk about this morning, it can be a little bit uncomfortable. It can be a little bit of a taboo subject in church. And the thing that I want to talk about a bit is, is doubt. It's when we as believers experience periods of doubt in our lives. Uh, and I want to just touch into that a little bit and bring it back to this bit of scripture. So Val actually said the word skeptical earlier. So the word skeptical, um, it basically comes from the Greek word skepsis, which means to investigate something or to look at something from a distance, so to not get fully involved. That's what being skeptical means. And I think some people are naturally more skeptical, and I am one of those people. I hear testimonies like Val's testimony. Instead of immediately praising God straight away, my head goes to the place of, well... Could it be this or could it be that? My natural disposition is skepticism. And, you know, skepticism can be a really good thing because it can make us question things and it can bring us to a better understanding of things at times. But what I want to talk about today is when skepticism brings us to doubt. So myself and Georgie used to go to a different church in Long Eaton and that church went through a lot of change and... At the time of the change, it, it made me question a lot of things because uh, things in the church were happening and things were, were changing. And it made me think, if I really believe in this, if I really believe in Jesus, who he was, what he did, what the Bible says about him, then I need to, to know those things so that I can stand by what I'm testifying to. And it was really difficult, and I think it still is really difficult for us as Christians, to live in a world where culture and society says one thing, and we as Christians might say another thing. That's a real challenge. And at that point, I started to have questions about lots and lots of different things. I, I am a Christian, by the way. <laughs> Better make that clear from the start. Um, but I think that doubt as something as believers and as a church, it can be really confusing. What, what do we think about doubt? Is doubt a sin? Should we encourage people to question things? It's really difficult. And I think that doubt is something that we need to be cautious about. But I think that it can be viewed as constructive. So, for example, if we take the last 2,000 years of church history and think about all the amazing thinkers and theologians that have come through that time, they've questioned a lot of things. They've questioned things that have been said before them. And that's how we've been, we, we now have the understanding that we have because people have been questioning things. On the other hand, when doubt leads us to question God, to question his goodness... Uh, it leads us to sin. And that's where I want to go this morning. When we put our faith in other things in life, money, relationships, leisure, even family, we're putting our faith in other things than God. And in Exodus 20, we read the, the Ten Commandments. What's the top commandment that comes from God? Thou shalt have no other gods but me. When we put our faith in other things, we're going against that first commandment. And when, when doubt 
leads to faithlessness or unfaithfulness, that's when we fall short. It's quite, got to word this quite carefully, because what I'm saying is doubt in itself, on its own, isn't necessarily sinful, but when it leads us to unfaithfulness, then that is when we're in sin. So this all sounds a bit bleak so far. So how do we as believers, who may be having periods of questioning and doubt, how do we come through that? So at the time when this was happening to me, probably about three or four years ago, um, I was reading a lot of Christian apologetics. So a lot of you in here will probably know about apologetics. It's the idea that um, the arguments for God's existence and all of those sorts of things. It's why we believe in what we believe, basically. And there's an amazing Christian thinker who's called William Lane Craig. And he says that faith is trusting in that which you have good reason to think is true. So faith is trusting in that which you have good reason to think is true. So if we've got good reasons to believe in God, we can have faith in God. And C.S. Lewis, who we all know, he said that faith is the art of holding on to things that your reasons once accepted in spite of your changing mood. So if we're going through good times or bad times, if our reasons accepted God, then we can have faith in him. And I think that apologetics is a really good thing for us to get an intellectual understanding of God. But even though I... I was grounded in all of these thoughts and and ideas. I was still having this nagging feeling in the back of my mind. So next thing was prayer. You know, I used to pray almost every day, I would say, um, to God. I would would say to God, Lord, get get rid of these feelings. Heal heal me of my unbelief. And there's an amazing story in in Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 9. And... It's where the guy brings his son who's demon-possessed to Jesus. And Jesus says, how, how long has he been like this? And he says, from childhood. It's, it's thrown him into fire or water or to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus says to him, if you can, everything is possible for one who believes. And the guy says back to him, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief which is really confusing. I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. And I think as believers, we can be in that position where we're we're fully testifying to Jesus. We're saying, yes, Lord, you are the greatest, and I, I declare you as Lord. But yet in the back of our mind, there's a nagging feeling. And that's what he's getting at there. I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. So despite... Uh, prayer and worship, getting around fellow Christians, coming to church. I still had these feelings in the back of my mind. And over time, God opened my eyes and he opened my ears to to what the the true promise was. And that's the message that I'm saying this morning. And the message is this, that despite us being faithless, God is always faithful. Despite us being faithless, God's always faithful. Faithful. So no matter where we go in life, no matter what situation we're in, no matter how much we struggle to connect, to to realize God's presence, he's always faithful. And it's because God is perfect. God is holy. He's righteous. He's everything that's good. And so he can't be unfaithful. It's just against his nature. It doesn't make sense. So he's perfectly faithful. It's intrinsic to who he is, to his actual nature. There's a Christian pastor, um, in America. He's called Tim Keller. And he says this. He says that our unfaithfulness, that's you and anybody else who's unfaithful, our unfaithfulness 
in light of God's faithfulness makes ours more heinous or evil. But God's faithfulness in light of our unfaithfulness makes his more wonderful. God's faithfulness in light of our unfaithfulness makes his more wonderful. So despite our shortcomings, despite our unfaithfulness, our unbelief, like the guy in Mark 9, God always is faithful to us because he loves us. He wants us. He wants to be with us. He wants to be in relationship with us. That's the amazing thing that the Bible tells us. And I want to pick apart this little bit in Hebrews now. Um, And in the classic way, I want to pick apart three things. (laughs) Learning from the best. Um, So firstly, the first point is this, that Jesus has made a way. Jesus himself calls himself the way in John 14. But in this bit of scripture from Hebrews, it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, that is, that is God, God's presence, the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, opened for us through the curtain that is his body. Our sin prevents us from being with God. It, it puts a barrier in the way. We can't be in God's presence as sinners because God is just. He, he cannot be in the presence of sin. But Jesus has made a way for us by his, his death on the cross. He's made that, that path so that we can have connection with God. We can have communion with God. And he teaches us that he's the only way. He's not just the way. He's the only way to the Father. That's what he says in John 14 verse 6. And that because of his sacrificial love... Me and all of you in here can be in relationship with God. The most perfect, holy, loving, pleasing thing that could be is God. And we have the chance to be in relationship with him. So over here in the sort of rubbish pile is our sin and our shame and our guilt and our unfaithfulness. But over here is Jesus. And Jesus has made a way, point number one. Point number two is this, that Jesus intercedes for us or he he fights our corner as a great high priest. In verse 21, it says that since we have a great priest over the house of God. And if you've read the book of Hebrews, this is a theme that runs throughout the book of Jesus being the great high priest in the order of Melchizedek. And it can get a bit weird and it can get a bit confusing. But it basically means this, that in the Old Testament, The role of the priest was to to act as a mediator between God and his people. So the people would bring uh, their sacrifices of lambs and goats um, to the temple. And the priests would take the sacrifices, they'd take them into the holy temple, and they'd make the sacrifices before God, and the people would be cleansed by that sacrifice. And on the other side, God would bless through the priests, and they would then bestow that blessing upon the people. They would act as a mediator between God and his people. And what Jesus did for us when he died on the cross is he becomes our mediator. He enables us to always have that connection with God all the time. But not just that. It says that he's our great high priest. So he's interceding for us. We see it in in, um, John 17. Jesus prays for believers He prays for all believers, it says in the Bible, all of us, every single person who believes in God. Jesus prays for us to protect us. He's in our corner. It's sort of like if you imagine a a boxing fight. I don't really like boxing, but is it a fight or a match? Whatever. Um, They have the little guy in the corner who who wipes their brow and tends to their cuts and things. 
Jesus does that, but then Jesus gets in the ring with us as well. And he fights the other guy with us. Jesus fights our battles. So over here, we've got our sin and shame, guilt, unfaithfulness. But over here, Jesus is fighting our battle. He's in our corner. And the good news is this, church, that Jesus wins every time. I love football. I'm a Southampton fan. And we are terrible. We don't win every time. But Jesus wins every single time. And that's why I can celebrate on a Sunday morning because I don't get to celebrate very often on a Saturday afternoon. Jesus wins every time, point number two. And point number three is this, that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross has purified each and every single one of us of all of our sin. Every single one of us of all of our sin. And you know, verse 22 says this. We can skip over scripture, can't we, sometimes? We can read it and it just, it just sort of gets lost in the ether. But when we actually look at what it says... Verse 22, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. What an amazing image that is. You know, when I came to faith, when I was, I think I was 22, and we sang a song about being washed white as snow. And that image of just being completely pure because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross Still now, it's just an incredible image. Jesus' death on the cross cleanses us of all of our sin. Every single person in this room, your sins have been washed away. Your guilt has gone. Your shame vanished because of what Jesus has done for you. He bore all of our sin. In, in theological terms, they call it imputation. When Jesus stood on the cross or hung on the cross, he took all of the sin of the world on his shoulders he took all of our sin onto him. But it didn't end there. All of Jesus' goodness, his purity, his holiness, his righteousness came onto us, onto all of us in this room. We have been robed with his righteousness, it says. What an amazing promise from Scripture. So over here with our sin, shame, unfaithfulness, but over here, Jesus has purified us of all of these things, unfaithfulness included. He's purified us of all of those things. And do you know what? This, this scripture um, is just so incredible because it says at the end of the, the passage that we read, we have those three points. Point number one, that Jesus has made a way. Point number two, that he fights our battle. He intercedes for us as a great high priest. And then point number three, that he's purified us of all of our sin. And so what does the, the writer of Hebrews say as a result of that? He says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Wow, amazing is that? It's nothing to do with me. It's nothing to do with anybody in this room. It's to do with Jesus. He who promised is faithful. Andrew spoke earlier about Isaiah. It's God's words. He who promised is faithful. We can trust in those words because the person who told us those words is faithful, always faithful. How amazing is that? You know, this morning when, when we were worshipping, um, it made me think, you know, sometimes in summer holidays at church, it can be a bit quiet. People are on holiday, people are going away. And church can feel like you just sort of turn up, do a few songs, go home again. It's a bit too hot. 
But you know, this morning, I felt God anointing people in this room. The Holy Spirit is here and is anointing people in this room. And I think that amazing things are going to happen in this summer holiday that we maybe thought might just pass us by. Uh, can I invite the band back up? Is that all right? <laughs> um, and I'm going to just finish saying this. That when we walk with Jesus every single day and we do the things that we think are great, like praying, reading our Bible, and this is, this is essential stuff for us to develop a relationship with him, to understand him, to know him better. But despite those things, we might still find that we're questioning things that we're doubting things, and we might find that we slip into unfaithfulness, that we start putting our hope in the things that we see around us, the things that give us immediate gratification. But what we know is that we can repent from that. We can understand what that is. We can turn from it. We can repent from it. And it says in, the, in, a, in 1 John that, that God is faithful. He's faithful and just, and he'll forgive us our sins, purifiers of all unrighteousness. And why? Because at the start of that scripture, he's faithful. He's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us of all unrighteousness. And church, this morning, if you're sitting there thinking, that's me. I struggle with unfaithfulness. I struggle with that little thought in the back of my mind that says, was that really God? Was that really God? Can God really do that? Is God really that good? Then my words this morning would be, depend on God, trust on God, because God will never leave us. He'll never forsake us because he is faithful. And you know, I'm going to invite people forward if they want prayer, because I think, let's be bold, church, let's do it. Come forward if you want prayer for this, because it's hard, I know, I've done it. I'm still doing it. It's really, really hard. But there's an amazing quote, I'm going to finish with this, by a guy called Charles Spurgeon, who some of you may know. He was a Christian thinker, an amazing guy. And these words are incredible. He says this, Come boldly, believer, for despite the whisperings of Satan and the doubting of your own heart, you're greatly loved. You're greatly loved. Come boldly, believer, for despite the whisperings of Satan, the doubting of your own heart, you're greatly loved. And that's the message this morning, church, is that no matter what you feel, no matter what your heart is telling you, no matter what your, that voice in the back of your head is telling you, you are greatly loved by a God who is always faithful. Amen.